Hello, everyone. Uh, sorry for a little bit of a delay there. Uh, minor technical issue on my computer. Should be fixed now. Uh, welcome to the 411 MMA podcast, or Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We're terrible with titles. Uh, thank you very much for listening. It's always a pleasure to have the opportunity to share our thoughts with you. And that you take up of your personal time to listen to us blabber on and on about mixed martial arts and few other loosely related topics on occasion, so always much appreciated. Thank you. I'm Robert Winfrey. I am your host. I am not alone this week. Uh, back with me after his weekend in Las Vegas for some AEW events and a few other things, but Jeff Harris is back with us. How you doing, Jeff? Hey, Robert. Did you miss me? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, everybody, I'm not at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge this month, but I will collect every Boba Fett Funko Pop. In fact, I just have uh, Bo- uh, Boba Fett Gets His Prize, which is the little Funko Pop display with Boba Fett and Han Solo and the Carbonite, which I really like. I was able to get it on Amazon. Uh, very reasonably priced. Uh, have you heard of Funko Pops, Robert? I know you're probably not much of a collector, but do you know what these are? I am aware of their existence, yes. So, I'm not like a big Funko Pop collector. I just get the ones for the characters that I like, and I'm a huge fan of Boba Fett. So I was really, I wasn't, I didn't believe I'd ever be able to get this one because I kind of missed, I had missed the original run. Uh, but they were being resold on Amazon because they're an Amazon exclusive set. So now I have, um, Boba Fett and the Slave One. I have Boba Fett with Han Solo and Carbonite, and I also have Boba Fett, uh, like, firing his booster rockets, like, on the Jabba skip, so, that kind of thing. So I'm very happy with my growing collection of Boba Fett Funkos. I wish you luck in collecting the rest of them. Yes. Because what's better than Boba Fett? I mean, an actual character, but... I mean... If I mean, when he, <laughs> getting a character is when it started sucking in the prequel. Uh, I know. Again, yeah. like, look, Boba. Uh, again, I just I'm not the biggest Star Wars fan in general, and Boba yeah. Fett is just a cool looking costume. Yeah, but what's cooler than his costume? I don't know. I mean, that comes down to what you think is cooler individually. Okay. Well, it's kind of a rhetorical question anyway, or you could just. Like, nod and say, nothing, Jeffrey. Boba Fett's the coolest. Yeah, but I can't lie. I mean, that. I mean, you lie to yourself. Every- yeah, but I can't, I, I can't lie to other people as readily yeah. available as that. My, look, my levels of self-deception are... Can you say how, how much you struggle getting through UFC cards? I do. I really <laughs> do. I'm just... But I thank you, I thank you for doing it because you do such a good job. And, you know, some of these fights are significant. So it's, you do an important service for us all. Um, I suffer so you don't have to. Well, well, I mean, there were, I mean, I mean, you say that, but there were, there were some important fights on this card. Not all, I, I would say not all of this was a lost cause. No, no, no. Uh, referencing UFC on ESPN Plus 11, which was yesterday morning here in the States. I mean, uh, do I yeah, think it, cards are a little long? Yes. 
I think they could have shaved, like, you could have cut off, like, three fights off of this card, don't you agree? You could have cut half of this card. Half, like, how many fights did we have total? One, two, three, four, five. I would say cut off, like, three or four, at least. The only... The only issue they run into, I, I, let me be clear, I complain about the length of these cards because it's a royal pain to sit, to watch them for six hours or so from start to finish. But I also know why they do it, because the length of card that they have gives them the maximal amount of, of ad time to sell to rep to broadcast partners. And until the market actually revolts against it, they're not actively disincentivized from doing it, so I get it. I'm, that's not going to stop me from complaining about it from time to time, but I understand it. Uh, anyway, last yeah, yesterday's card. Um, boy, at least the top two fights were all right. I mean, one of them was over in forty some odd seconds, so not almost. There's nothing to complain about there. But in the main event, Anthony Smith defeated Alexander Gustafson via rear naked choke in the fourth round. Um, I think I picked Gustafson last week. But I mentioned there's a few things that Smith could do to potentially secure victory, and this was an interesting... This was not the most engaging of fights unless you really enjoy looking at minor details, and I kind of do. Smith had some decent success in the first round. Gustafson seemed to kind of take that round to get the measure of Smith. While I gave Smith the second round, the second round really felt like as it ended, Gustafson was starting to come on. He'd finally kind of figured out what he was looking to figure out. Then he took, then he takes the third. Then Smith makes a couple of adjustments in the fourth that lead to his eventual finish. One is he gets back to uh, appropriate forward pressure. The other is, ah, uh, I mean, the whole thing stems from his reversing a takedown attempt from Gustafson and. It was a really nice reversal, actually, from Smith. Gustafson gets close, thinks about a knee tap, but there's a reason that when you go for a knee tap, if that's the particular takedown you're going for, whichever one of your arms picks at the knee or the uh, the back of the thigh or whatever, your other arm, so if I'm, say, if my right arm is going down to you know, pick at your knee, my left should not be on the same side of my opponent's body. You want to push on the opposite shoulder. If you push push on the same shoulder, it's much easier for them to kind of defend, to maintain a bit of a base. And that's what wound up happening here. Uh, Gustafson went for that, again, kind of a knee tap. But both of his arms were on the same side of Smith's body. That just means he can lean most of his weight towards one side to help mitigate it. And then he was able to reverse the takedown attempt because he could just kind of plant his weight, throw things over, and then get on top. And... Once he was on top, Smith did a good job of keeping position. He had a really nice back take sequence, actually, right before the finish. He gets Gustafson's back, but is very, very, but is very high. And I thought he was going to slip off. And he made a really smart adjustment to kind of fix that. He made sure both hooks were firmly in. Then instead of what's kind of called the seatbelt position from the back, because if you think about and how a over-the-shoulder seatbelt secures you. Uh, if you have someone's back, you take one hand, uh, goes over their shoulder, around their neck, and then the other goes under the other arm, and you hold on to them that way, and it's very difficult for them to 
escape that position. Uh, Marcelo Garcia, I believe, made that very, very famous because once he got on your back with that, you were just done. You couldn't get him off. He he adjusted to a double underhook situation, so both of his his arms are under the arms of Gustafsson, and he uses that leverage to actually force his hips back and flatten him out rather than let him continue to rather than let Gustafson continue to elevate his own hips and slide Anthony you know, over the top. Uh, again, a really subtle little adjustment there that basically was what made everything else work. Because if he gets tipped, if he gets tipped off, then you know, he can't get the finish the way he does. He flattens him out, lands some shots, gets the choke, and that was all she wrote. Uh, big, big win for Anthony Smith, uh, the biggest of his career. You know, Gustafson, one of the best light heavyweights of the last. I don't know, eight years or so. Uh, never was able to get over the hump. Dealt with a slew of injuries. Dealt with uh, a couple of really, really close fights against in the absolute best in the division. And beating him's a big deal, and Smith did it. So you know, a lot of kudos to him. Anthony Smith, er, that guy earns everything. He has fought his way up to the position that he currently occupies, and kudos for that. Uh, Gustafson seems to have retired after. Uh, that's what he announced and indicated. I don't know how much that'll stick, because MMA retirements. But he's talked about being done in the past, especially if he doesn't feel he can fight at the championship level. And back-to-back losses, and you know, one of them's John... And that's not, uh, but couple his performance with the way John just kind of handled him and then losing to Anthony Smith. And Smith is not a, again, Smith's not a bottom of the wrong fighter. He's also been finished twice now in his hometown. That's another. Yeah. That could be uh, this, trusting, you know? It, it, oh, he, yeah, he took, he took that hard when Anthony, when Anthony Johnson knocked him out in Stockholm. Wasn't his, uh, first fight in Sweden, but, or his first UFC fight, but, that fight with Anthony Johnson, that was in a base, that was a huge crowd. That was like basically a stadium, was it not? I think it was the same venue, actually. Um, um, the Tele2 Arena, they had 30,000 people saw him get knocked out in the first round by Anthony Johnson. And then he, he, he came back after that, had two more title fights. He's lost three title fights now in the yeah. UFC. You know, and John Jones was sort of like, that was the big question for several years because he came so close. He became in many ways closer than anyone has before of beating John Jones. It was really within a round. Um, yeah, pretty much. And then he came back and gets finished by Jones and then returns to Sweden and gets finished by Anthony Smith. Um, plus on top of that, He's had doubts before about his career, and he's he's come close to retiring before, has he not? Yeah, there was one. I think there was one stretch when he was dealing with a couple of back because during one of his. Right. This is a guy who's dealt with injuries a fair bit. He's he's lost a few years uh, at, at various times to injury. In fact, I think that was one of the reasons they didn't. He didn't. He and Jones didn't rematch sooner. He's consistently been a top fighter in this division since he beat Tiago Silva in 2012, right? So he's been very close in the top 10, top five for seven years, and that's pretty significant. Yeah. 
That's, um, a, that's a hard thing to do, even in a division like light heavyweight. Because his only losses, John Jones in a very in a competitive fight. He did get knocked out by Anthony Johnson at the time when when a lot of guys were getting knocked out by Johnson. He lost a, a another close competitive title fight to Daniel Cormier. In it fairness, was, I did score that. I have I, I do score I, that fight I, for him. I scored the fight for Cormier, but uh, respectfully disagree. Um, it's one of those fights. Like I don't disagree with anyone who scores it either all way. All right. Um, so his only losses were to the top, either the champion or the top contenders. Um, even Anthony Smith, I, I think, well, he had that awful performance against Jones. He's, he's still a top, con- he's become a top contender in this division. You would agree, correct? Yeah. At the moment, um, he is absolutely a top contender. And, Man, I think his ground game is just very underrated, Anthony Smith. Yeah, in a lot of respects, yeah. I mean, he joked about that after the fight. That, you, know, you know I'm a legit black belt, right? And I mean, he has the victories to back it up. Submitted Uzdemir, a former title contender, and he's submitted a, a, three, a three-time title contender in, in Gustafsson. Those are those are two high level submission victories, and in back to back not back to back fights, but back to back wins. Uh, and he has twelve submission wins overall. He only has two. He only has two wins by decision. So more often than not, he is a finisher. Yeah. Uh, well, he's he's a killer be killed kind of fighter. I think even most of his except, losses are finishes. Except in the John Jones fight, which is why he's been beating him, beating himself up since that fight because that was not a kill or be killed fight for him. And I think, I think even you were surprised that he just didn't show up for that fight at all. Other than the fact that he, he took an illegal knee and he went ahead and continued the fight anyway when Ariel Hawani has beat this drum that he should have taken the win off of that foul. Yeah, there were things that he, and bear in mind again, I, I think he could fight John Jones, you know, 20 times and the results not all that dissimilar each time, but there were things that I thought he was going to do or try to do that he didn't. And I, I need to rewatch the fight and see if there's something specific that John's doing that really shuts him down. But yeah, it was, that was a very atypical performance in the career well, of Anthony. I think Smith. what he was doing, he's just being John Jones, being in, being the, being in the cage for a title fight. Getting the thing you worked your whole career, your whole life for, and just not rising to the occasion and performing. It, it's happened to plenty of fighters. It's happened to champions. It 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 happens to champions too, Robert. Look at Tyrone Woodley. Yep. Sometimes he just doesn't show up. Yeah, it, it absolutely happens to everybody at one point or another. Yeah. I I can't think of a single fighter who over the course of their career showed up every single fight in the and then performed to the best of their abilities every time. I mean, it all, it happens Cerrone, to everybody. I mean, Donald Cerrone, top fighter in two divisions, it, it's happened to him many times. Many times. Many, many times. Frequently in his title opportunities. Okay, I think the only two guys who I could think that, especially, even then, there might be a couple of... I think like Tony and Khabib are probably the only two guys who I could look at 
the majority of their career what and go, I mean, no, they were there. Even What about Frankie Edgar, even in his losing efforts? I'd have to go back and rewatch some of those. There's a few fights in particular that I might. Maybe the second. I mean, I felt like even in the first fight without Aldo, he was very he was very competitive in that fight. Yeah, the second one he never. The second one he just never got going. He never yeah. adjusted to Aldo. I think. Um, but it wasn't like no, the fa- was, the Faber fight. He kind of coasted through. But he won. Yeah. Well, I, I get like again showing up doesn't necessarily mean losing. I mean, I felt like he was still there in that second Aldo fight like Anthony Smith was not against John Jones. Yeah, I can see that. Just because John Jones just didn't do anything. He didn't really... Like, John John did not do a lot in that fight, but, but there was almost no activity from Anthony Smith at all. Uh, he was he was deer in the headlights for that fight. Yeah, so... And I think that just happens. And Smith is good, but if you cannot show up and do that in those title opportunities, if you cannot break or snap that, sometimes you just never you never will. Um, and I think Smith might just be one of those fighters where he can rise to the occasions in fights like this, but not when everything is on the line. Yeah, well, uh, that's. I mean, he's likely to get back into the title scene, so we'll have more evidence later. Well, he really had nothing to lose in that John Jones fight, if if you really look at it. No, he was he was the beneficiary of the division being weak. I don't mean that he didn't earn his shot necessarily. He beat three guys in a row. He finished all of them. That's not nothing. But he's consistently been good since he came into the UFC, and he moved up in weight. Well, uh, yeah, since he moved up in weight, he's only lost to John. Right. But even at middleweight, he was he was he was looking fairly impressive until yeah, uh well, his, yeah. in the, he's in the midst of his second UFC stint and in that period, he's right. only got 3 losses. Right. He's only lost to Cesar Fajaya, Tiago Santos, and John Jones. And Santos is the next title contender. Yeah. So I like Smith, but I mean, it's just, do you even, do you ever consider putting him in another title fight? I mean, it's light heavyweight, yeah. That, I, I can easily see a situation where he gets back into the title scene. I feel like John would have to either lose the belt first or leave the division to justify it. You could, I think you could sell a rematch. Again, not with any degree of excitement, but depending on who loses, who wins over the next few weeks, who gets injured, who fails a drug test kind of thing. I could see it. it, not, it I wouldn't be looking forward meant, to it. But. This isn't meant as a slide against Smith, but I feel like the division would be in dire straits for that to happen. There's a, Are we, there's a few very key players... Who would have to be out of commission for one reason or another? Yes, or just a little bit more time passes and he gets another couple of wins. Uh, what do you think of a Jan Blahovic fight for Smith next? <sighs> Blahovic take does... time off and maybe fight Blahovic. Well, Smith said he broke his hand in this fight. I don't know if that's been confirmed or not. 
has not been confirmed. He might he might want to take some because he did he did have a fairly quick turnaround here. He did, and you know if uh, if Tiago Santos loses to John, you might could do their rematch at two hundred five. Do that rematch at two hundred five. That I mean, they had a good fight the first time. I agree. So that's a that's a thought. Yeah, you could do Blahovich. Blahovich is coming off of the loss to Santos. There's also Dominic Reyes, who Reyes is out there. I mean, there's Reyes and Reyes has been looking good lately. Uh, Alexander Rakic, who we're going to talk about more in depth in a minute, who just <laughs> shotgun Jimmy and Manawa in the Jimmy face. Manawa, man. That's four. That's four in a row for him now. But yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean. Uh, you could do, uh, I mean, you, you might be killing off a contender for the immediate future, but uh, you could do Johnny Walker and Anthony Smith. I, I That would be, that would be an appropriate bit of crazy it violence. It sounds like they want to be very slow and careful with Johnny Walker, so we'll see. Uh, again, you'd be, one of them would be, again, out of the picture for a while, so I don't imagine that will be next, but. I mean. Ealer Latifi is still hanging around. Cause he, I don't think he's fought Latifi yet. No, uh, well, Latifi was supposed to fight Uzdemir on this card and then pulled out with a back injury like the day before the event. And then there's Corey Anderson who's constantly complaining. Cause he's, hey, yeah, he does talk a lot, but really get some consistency, Corey, then we can talk. I mean, yes, he's on a winning streak, but his fights suck. So. I mean, I mean, yeah, you're winning, but you're winning, but no one wants to watch you fight, Corey. I mean, come on. Um, but you could do a Corey Anderson uh, Smith fight. That could make yeah. sense. Yeah, there's a there's some if, options for him if he's gonna. And I feel like Anderson has no right to complain about getting matched up with Smith because Smith fought for the title, beat Gustafsson, and is ranked above him. So, what would Anderson have to complain about fighting a guy who's ranked above? You know? I'm sure he'd find something. <laughs> but you know what I'm talking about. I right? do. Uh, again, there's a lot of options for him, again, uh, depending on how bad his injury is or is not. Yeah, I think he deserves some time off, but, you know, I'm not the matchmaker, not Dana White, not Smith. So yeah, Again, it's up to him. If he does want to take some time off and really recuperate, you know, again, there's stuff that, as long as he's not going to be like sitting out and hoping for a title shot because I don't think that would happen but if he's going to sit out and let a few other things shake out before deciding who he'd be interested in fighting next I mean that makes sense to me too and I want to give a little credit to Smith because several years ago I never saw him getting in even even this high up you know in a completed no. division I mean even when he because I mean even in his strike force days when he was good but nothing to write home about necessarily uh, it took him a while to really get put everything together, but he has now. And again, only he three losses in his current UFC run. He always came off like one of those journeyman strike force fighters who could, who was decent. You could book on a card, but was nothing spectacular. And while I wouldn't call him spectacular now, he's he's gotten pretty. He's gotten pretty good. I mean, he's entered the elite level of competition consistently. So, yeah. Um, oh, and then there's Luke, Luke Rockhold, if he had, if Yeah, he and Rockhold yeah. shared a lot of, a lot of words recently. 
I know Rockhold has a different fight set up for his debut at light heavyweight, I think, but... Yeah, we gotta see how he does, but, uh... If Rockhold wins his fight, and he very well could, Luke Rockhold's very good, yeah, you know, you could do Smith and Rockhold. I'd be oh, down. Uh, Rockhold's fighting Blahovich on uh, on fight on international fight week, so okay. that's good. That's so, a good so yeah. If Smith if Smith wants another fight uh, again around that range, Here's, you could give him the winner of that fight. Now, if we can go on a tangent a little bit, Robert. Here's my issue with Rockhold. I love Rockhold, but has he waited too long to make a to make a move up in weight? Because he's thirty, he's not a young man anymore. He's thirty-four. Um, he 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 is such a great athlete, and he is very skilled. So he might still have some time left and some years left in the sport. But I feel like if he was going to make this move, he probably should have made it like uh, two or three years ago. Plus, he's had so many injuries too. So there's a lot of wear and tear. Well, let's see. He's got 20 fights, and he's been fighting since 7, so 12 years. Yeah. Yeah, he's got another, I think, 3 or 4 in him when he's still kind of... that he can still operate near peak efficiency, but... He's also he's, been sidelined a lot by injuries. Yeah. And he's, let's see, in the last 3 years, he's only fought 3 times. Yep. And he's lost 2 of those fights. Also true. Yeah, he's... He hasn't been very active. Let me put it like this. I don't think he waited too long, necessarily. There Again, he's only... I mean, again, three fights ago, he was the champion. He was the champion going into 199. I think if he... I think if those three losses were in a more truncated time frame than maybe, but as it stands, I understand his reasoning, and he's a big guy. Like... It, I don't know if you've ever seen him in person, but it's a little bit surprising that he could make 185 as consistently as he did. He's a big guy. I imagine, so, again, like, if you can know the future, did he wait too long? Yeah, probably, but operating with the knowledge at the time, I think he'd made the right decisions at the various points in time with all the information available to him. Uh, I don't know how how successful I see him being at light heavyweight. I'll need to see him actually compete, but I do kind of favor him over Blahovich. And again, it's not like light heavyweight is this deep shark tank of talent. It's it's a kiddie pool <laughs> that a crocodile that a giant saltwater crocodile is hanging out in. If if Rockhold is making this run and he manages to get past Blahovich, that could be the fight to make because there, there is some heat there. Yeah, they talked uh, I mean, Anthony Smith doesn't talk crap about almost anybody and at one of the press conferences he had some really harsh things to say about Rockhold. Well, I mean, Rockhold went in on him. I mean... Also, yeah. Uh, he challenged for the title. Yeah, so if Rockhold beats Blahovich, yeah, I think you make that fight. So, again, Gustafson, I, I don't know if he's going to stay retired, but I imagine it will be at least another year before we see him again. Uh, even if he does come back, because MMA retirements are about as valid as pro wrestling retirements, it'll be a while, and 
if he fought in Bellator. I would be surprised if he fought in Bellator. I wouldn't. I I don't think the UFC is going to let him go. Stranger things have happened. True. But they've also kind of been... They've also kind of been understandable. I wouldn't really understand them letting him out of his contract at the moment. But I also don't have all the information at hand, so who knows. I mean, if he does go to Bellator, he could become a double champion. Because I think he probably beats Ryan Bader. Hasn't he fought Bader? Let me look this up now. I can't remember if he ever fought Ryan. No, he never fought Bader. He lost to Davis. Then actually trained with him for a while. No, he never fought Ryan Bader. I mean, again, I would pick him to beat Bader, but... if he, So if he does go to Bellator again, likelihood of becoming champion, but... I don't know. I mean, if his heart's not in it and he's ready to move on with his life, he's been part of two, I would say the two best light heavyweight title fights in UFC history involve Alexander Gustafson. And that's a, and one of those is what on the very short list of best fights ever. So guy gets a lot of credit. And if he is moving on, thank you very much for all you gave to the sport and for our enjoyment, and I wish you the best. I wish him the best. I don't have anything. I don't. You know, I don't have any negative wishes as it pertains to Gustafson. I mean, as it stands, he's had a pretty historic career. He just was never able to secure that title. Yeah, and guys, oh, and he got so close twice. And some guys never even make it to the title left, like Matt Brown. Yeah, eight entertaining fighter. Came close to fighting for the belt one or two times, but just never was able to secure that title contendership. Yeah. I mean, Clay Guida never fought for the belt. I I don't like Clay Guida as a fighter, but if... Clay like, Guida, I mean, there was a time where Clay Guida came close. After oh, no, the- yeah, yeah, Guida got close a couple of times. I mean, Jacare never fought for the belt. Don't remind me. I mean, again, it sucks because Chakra is great. Yeah. Should have lo- fought for the belt several years ago. Yeah, yeah, there was a point in time when he should have. But, I mean, should. We'll only get you so far. <laughs> so, uh, again, Gustafson had a, had a really great career if he, if this is actually the end. And, you know, again, I thank him for it because I mean, a look, lot that, of great fights. Ed Jones fight. I mean, a lot of people just slept on him going into that Jones fight. Sort of. I did. Uh, I'm hand yeah. in the air. I slept on Gustafson in that fight. I absolutely did. But, I mean, his popularity exploded after that. I mean, fans basically got him put on the cover of uh, the UFC video game because of that fight. So, I mean, he's had, you know, he's had a historic career. Some guys never... Some guys never even make it to that level, so he has nothing to be ashamed of. Just like, just like Rose Nama Yunus, where, and I'm not to be sound like a white knight, you know, Robert. You know what a white knight is. I do, but like people are saying, people are trashing Rose because she's based. It sounds like she's retiring, and 
people are saying like she has no heart and questioning her spirit and character. I mean, like, how can you do that? Well, I mean, I can tell you how. It's pretty easy to say the words. How can you really say that about her and try to trash her like that when she's been a champion, held the title, defended it, and beat one of the baddest women on the planet, you know? I mean, again, I'm not saying it. I wouldn't say it. I don't think it's accurate. But I get... But my comparison here is, just like Rose, Gustafsson has nothing to be ashamed of. Because this is one of the most brutal, like, trauma-inducing sports ever. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's you're, up there. I mean, you're getting into, you're getting locked into a cage, and you're forced to fight another man, where you either have to, like, break a limb, or try to make him unconscious, you know? I can think of few jobs or sports that are that stress-inducing. So, considering that Gustafsson's had a pretty impressive career where he's fought for a title three times, he's fought some of the all-time greats, he's done pretty well for himself. And hopefully, he's done, he's done well with his money and... And knows yeah. what he wants. Uh, I, look, I hope he knows what he wants to do right. with the next phase of his life. Yeah, I think he like. I feel like he's someone who who will be fine with the next phase of his life, provided he. Uh, some the other thing is about fighters retiring is that they struggle with their identity and what to do after fighting because they mm-hmm. identify as fighters. You know, I think BJ. I think that's been a big problem for BJ Penn. Yeah, I um, agree. He doesn't know what else to do with himself other than fight. But, I mean, what happens when you're a prize fighter and you can't fight anymore? So, I don't think this, I think since this was Gustafsson's decision, I don't think this is going to be a big problem for him. Yeah, if, uh, I hope he does know what he's going to do next. And again, I wish him well. Dude gave me, as a fan, again, one of the best fights ever. Two of, I would say the two best light heavyweight title fights in UFC history. And, at least one epic beatdown that he administered to another human being. So I, I wish him absolutely the best. All right, moving on, uh, Alexander Rakich. You know, I think this is the last one we're going to talk about in anything approaching depth. And then we'll probably just do quick hits for the rest of this card because it's just wasn't a very good card. I mean, again, there were some good moments, but on the whole, just, yeah. Anyway, Alexander Rakich defeated Jimmy Manoa via head kick knockout 47 seconds into the first round. Oh boy. Um, Rakich is now on a, what, 12 fight winning streak because he lost his, he lost his professional debut and hasn't lost since. He's 4-0 in the UFC. He's finished his last two. And this is a guy that, uh, <laughs> We we need to start taking seriously as a contender now in the division. Not in the immediate title vicinity, but as a ranked contender, yeah, Rakich is someone we need to put in that position now. Uh, brief aside, credit to Pat Mullen, who, after the Justin Ledette fight, said, you know, pay attention to Rakich. I think he's got what it, what it takes to be champion in the future. Uh... Rakic has a lot that's really, really good about his game. He's a big guy. He's rangy. He strikes well. He grapples well. He has win. He has a sub-minute knockout. 
He overcame adversity in Clark. He demonstrated intelligent game planning in Ledette when he outgrappled him and out and landed. And that that fight has one of the more ludicrous strike differentials you'll see if you look up the strike differential between Rakich and Ledette. This guy can fight pretty much anywhere and has a lot that's really good about his game. This is definitely a guy we should all be paying attention to. I mean, and some of us have been for longer than just after this fight, but for those of you who weren't, start paying attention now because that head kick on Jimmy Manoa was a thing of beauty. Uh, Jeff, do you have any thoughts on this one? Poor Jimmy Manoa, but man, yeah. it is impressive. And I don't know if he'll make it to the title level, but he's he's looking really good right now. And he's he's under 30, and he's been looking great, which is something the light heavyweight division desperately needs right now. Yeah, he's only 27. Um, I don't know. I mean... I don't know if this is an indictment on the rankings or division, but Mana was still ranked number eleven. And that was, will that'll change. Monday. Well, yeah, but he was Owen. He was still Owen three going into this fight. Yeah, he, sh- he probably shouldn't have been ranked number number eleven in the division on a three fight losing streak. So, this arguably puts this sh- probably should put him in the top fifteen. This one. Yeah. If it doesn't, it's something's really wrong. Maybe not 11, but definitely top 15, I think. Um, it, it's, it's good to just see some up and coming new, not new blood, but some newer blood rising up in this division because the division really needs it right now. Yeah, there's actually a few guys, uh, and a few of them are from, uh, Europe in some places that have started kind of breathing a little bit of life here. Again, we have Rakich. Uh, Michael Oleksajic has had a couple of good wins and stopped John Volante with a body shot, which gets you credit with me immediately for not having to sit through an entire 15-minute Volante snooze fest. But Rakitic's looked good, but, you know, this is not the higher end. This is, even at light heavyweight, this is not the higher end of opposite. No, no. Manuel was the best guy he's fought. Right. And... So, yeah, and- I, I don't think he should be in the immediate title picture, but... Uh, it, again, it's time to start giving him guys in or immediately around the top if ten. John Jones can keep it up and, and and stay. If John Jones can stay on the straight and narrow, and if he is staying at light heavyweight, he's going to need new contenders, new new guys to face. But now it seems like they're trying to build up another fight with Cormier because the. Because as of now, the Lesnar fight's not happening. But Rakich, well, they, they announced Cormier and Stipe a while back. But yeah, yeah, they do seem to be angling for another Jones Cormier fight. Everyone always looks ahead to the next thing, even before the fight happens. So, um, and I'm not predicting a win for Tiago Santos, but you just never know. True. Look at look what just happened with Anthony Joshua. I I'm waiting for him to announce he's going into rehab after that. Let, let me be clear about Is this. Anyone predicting a loss for Joshua? Like not that I'm a, not that I know of. Fan booking. Everyone was fan booking the Wilder uh, Wilder or Fury fights. They, they've been talking about the Wilder fight for years because either yeah. because either Joshua would decline or why I maintain neither guy wants to actually fight the other because Wilder 
is a terrible boxer with well, ferocious me, power. Uh, let me. I'm, I want to look up the betting odds for this fight. Just oh, this for game. that one. Um, uh, Joshua was something like anywhere between twenty uh, minus twenty five hundred minus fifteen hundred. Yeah. So it, it he was, was a huge favorite. Right. My point is, you can never overlook someone a hundred percent. Yeah, that, that, even that's if, very even true. When, even when it's John Jones. Again, not predicting, not predicting a Santos victory, but look, John Jones might make a mistake, and you can. And he's gonna. Lo- I mean, he's gonna lose eventually. Everybody does. Right, Fedor. Fedor did too. Fedor um, Silva, GSP, Demetrius. Yeah, and it, everybody. And it could just be making mistakes or just letting your guard down for a little bit in this sport. Especially against a guy as explosive and powerful as Santos. I mean, that's like, the majority of his I, game. I think that's the main reason Silva lost to, to Wyden, honestly. Because I think, I think he was being a the little... Fir- the first time, yeah, he let his guard down. I, th- I think... Because I thought Silva was doing okay for himself in that fight. I think he, ju- I think he just got too... He just got too sloppy against a, a guy who's ver- who can be very dangerous, like Wyden. So yeah, uh, I like Rat Rakich. He looked good last night. Excited to see more of him. All right. Uh, again, we're just going to go through the rest of these quickly because, eesh. Makwan <laughs> um, Amirkani defeated Chris Fishgold via an anaconda choke in the second round. I'm a sucker for a nice anaconda choke, and Amirkani hit a uh, hit a pretty decent transition here. He had kind of he didn't really have the assassin ride. But he was kind of sitting for that seated arm triangle. And then when he lost some of the foot control necessary, he just punched his arm all the way through, switched to an anaconda, and was able to uh, lock that up, spin into it, uh, and get the finish. So, again, I'm a sucker for an anaconda. It's a personal favorite choke of mine. Uh, Christos Yagos defeated Demir Hadzovic via unanimous decision, 229-27s, 129-28. This was a horribly disappointing fight. Uh, Daniel Tamer defeated Sung Bin Joe via unanimous decision, 230-27s, 129-28. Daniel Tamer is not really a UFC-caliber fighter. He was 0-3 in the UFC coming into this, and they had to get a guy making his UFC debut with less than 10 fights for him to edge out it. I mean, 30-27, but this was not a blowout fight score. Like, this wasn't a dominant performance. I maintain David, his brother, whose fights at lightweight, is the much better fighter. Daniel does a weak Mike Tyson impression. Um, Sergey Kandosko defeated Rustam Akam via unanimous decision. Uh, 29-28 across the board. This was a lot of nothing. Lena Landsberg defeated Tanya Evinger via unanimous decision. 230-26 is 130-27. And Tanya's had a rough UFC run. I mean, she was the Invicta champion on a long winning streak, came into the UFC, and has lost all three fights. And, I mean, again, you got, okay, she got beat by Cyborg. Fine, Cyborg. Then she gets stopped by Aspen Ladd. And Aspen Ladd, one of the more promising bantamweights in the sport. Now she gets blown out by Lena Landsberg. Uh, that's a rough go of it. Leonardo Santos defeated Stevie Ray via knockout. This was just a punch in the first round. 
I know Santos hasn't been active because of injuries and whatnot, but Leonardo Santos is really good. This was a really just kind of classic pullback counter right, perfectly aimed. Uh, not exactly the same punch he caught Kevin Lee with. I think that was more of a hook, but similar-ish. Uh, again, inactivity is the only reason Santos isn't thought of more highly, because he's got some impressive wins, and he hasn't lost in the UFC. Uh, Frank Camacho defeated Nick Hine via TKO in the second round. This was probably the best Frank Camacho has looked in the UFC. This was the most disciplined. He fought a very intelligent fight. He didn't go crazy. He didn't, in his own words, go all island boy, rah. His words, not mine. <laughs> and it was, uh, so I, I liked it. He was landing some brutal body kicks that hurt Hine pretty badly as that fight was wearing on that led directly into the finish. So good good for Frank. Um, Bea Malecki defeated Duda Santana via rear naked choke in the second round. Uh, generic women's bantamweight, low-level women's bantamweight fight. Devin Clark defeated Darko Stasic via unanimous decision, 29-28 across the board. This was utterly forgettable. Uh, Low-level light heavyweights. Eh. And kicking everything off, Joel Alvarez defeated Danilo Beluardo via TKO in the second round. Alvarez Avor came a pretty tough first round, I seem to recall. Uh... Got some really nice ground and pound working from the top that led into that finish, so... Eh, good for him. Alright, Jeff, there were fights there, and in fairness, not all of them were terrible, but what sticks out in your mind? What do you want to talk about? Uh, Amir Khani. The, Amir Khani, that was an impressive win, you would agree. And Amir Khani's a pretty underrated fighter. Yeah, remember when he had hype? And then it just fizzled because he didn't fight forever. Yeah, but he's he's surging now, so this was a good this was a good win. Now he's got back to back wins. Um, let's see. Leonardo Santos got a good win. He's an underrated fighter. He's been looking very good lately. Well, this was his first fight in a, uh, at least a year. I mean, he's another. He's just been hampered by inactivity. True. He hasn't fought since wow, October two thousand six. Yeah, he was off for a while. Wow, but came back, looked good. Uh, that's about it. All right. Um, thanks to anyone who read this. I uh, read my report on this. I know there were. Only, I imagine there were only a few of you following along live. This thing started at ten Eastern, uh, a.m. Eastern. Because it was uh, prime time in Sweden. So, again, just the timing was a little bit wonky, especially if you weren't aware that it was going to start at a weird time. So if you missed any of this, feel free to read my full report. I have round-by-round -round coverage. And thank you for those of you that do. I know you can go a lot of places, a lot more high-profile, and some of them that do better work than me, but you continue to support what I do, and God bless you for it. I thank you. All right. While I was dealing with that card, I was just, I occasionally, when it comes to dealing with these long fight cards, I will do the Bart Simpson thing. For those of you familiar with the classic Simpsons episode, Camp Krusty, when Bart zones out a little bit and just kind of starts rocking in a corner going, Krusty is coming, Krusty is coming, 
I do that on occasion with some of these cards. They went I'm... easy on Krusty in that episode. <laughs> I love that episode Krusty so much. Krusty deserved worse for what he did to those kids. I I agree, uh, but I like the last when Gagey and Barboza were fighting. I believe that was the main event, and just there were stretches of that card, man, that were just dead. And we're not, and it was horribly paced. And I just kind of sat here in front of my computer, and I rocked. with Gagey is coming. Gagey is coming. <laughs> and thank, because again, Justin Gagey is always worth watching. Occasionally, over the last few cards, I've had to sit here and go, Cerrone and Tony, <laughs> Cowboy and Ferguson are gonna fight. The Hudo and Marice. I'm look. I'm, I'm really jazzed for this one. Yeah, and UFC 238. Let me be. This is a very, very good main card. Uh, I mean, even the heavyweight fight might not suck because... You haven't tweeted. had a, a main card this stacked for a while. You have to be, I think, a hardcore fan to really appreciate all of this card. Unless but if, you think this guy is really just going to screw the pooch, but Valentina Shevchenko is very good, so at least we get to see her. I mean, look, that fight, I expect a relatively uneventful decision that goes Shevchenko's way as Jessica I closes her eyes, squares up, walks forward, and gets punched in the face repeatedly. But, I mean, good to I because she moved down to flyweight, and, look, arguably she's earned her shot. I mean, the division sucks, but, yes, she has absolutely earned it. That sounds like a really backhanded compliment. Let Let me rephrase it just a little bit. There are some divisions that are just... This woman has grinded for years. I mean, she's helped carry the banner of women's MMA before it became popular, before it even became valid. I mean, you know. She's not for women's MMA. And again, let me be clear. Some divisions suck, and that's, that's that's not any individual's fault. And if you capitalize on the fact that you're in a weak division, go for it. Like, I'm not blaming anybody. <laughs> it, it, she, she absolutely, she's what, won her last three fights, I think? Yeah. And well, again, is I, the div- I mean, is the division good? No, but hey, she won three in a row. You know what? I and mean, a I, weak think division? Better, I think it's a better division than featherweight, honestly. Well, women's featherweight isn't a division. <laughs> I mean, we all know this. It's not a division. <laughs> but, I mean, this main card is about as good... It's not... There's nothing here to draw in, you know, a lot of the casual oh, audience, oh, but it's a great card for anyone that pays how, attention. How I wanted to see Marlon Moraes fight for the title. So, this is... Huge. Almost as long as I have. I feel like Moraes is, is another guy like Jacare who should have gotten a shot a long time ago. Well, not a long time ago in the case of Murdice, but before this point, yes. I, I think he should have gotten it after the Rivera one, honestly. Um, yeah, I, I can see. Yeah, because that's when they went with the Cody rematch, right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah, after that, he should have. So, one fight removed from when he should have fought for the belt. But, yeah, your main event is UFC but, flyweight. I mean, he's, been, he's been on our radar, really, since the WSOF days, and... <clears throat> Since he beat Torres and Tyson Nam. And, man, there was a time where I thought he was never going to leave World Series of Fighting, and he finally got to the UFC. 
But um, you cannot deny that he is the top contender for this title. Oh no, I love Mar- I love Marlon Marais. Um, now I'd that rather... Shaw's out of the picture, you can make an argument that he's the top bantamweight in the world right now. I think he is. I would rather he was fighting another bantamweight for the belt instead of Cejudo, but but are you, you can you can make an argument that Cejudo has earned this shot, Robert? I'd accept the argument if Dillashaw was still the champion. He beat he beat the man who was at the time the active defending champion. So I know, and if TJ were still the champion, I would I wouldn't like it, but I can understand elements of the logic. If the belt's vacant, this is this is the best case scenario in my mind, um, because the guy who should be fighting for the belt is fighting for the belt, and. If, Mar- if if Dillashaw was still champion, that would not be happening. No, but again, if Dillashaw were still champion, I'd also be saying, don't give Henry Cejudo a shot. It should be Marlon and, and exactly. Dillashaw. Exactly. Exactly. So, this is to me, this is the best case scenario. And honestly, Dillashaw being a blithering idiot was the best thing to ever happen to this division. Because now... <laughs> Getting the title fight we should be getting. Or, well, we're getting half the title fight we should be getting. Getting half the title fight we should be. I mean, let's see. Who else is at the top of Bantamweight right now? Uh, no the, one that Marais hasn't already beaten, I think, which yeah, is the sad yeah. thing. I, I, in all, I mean, in all seriousness... I mean, look, Cruz is... When is Cruz going to... Like, no, is, no, 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 take Cruz, look, look, take Cruz out of the equation. He shouldn't be fighting for the belt right, right away, even if he does come back. Yeah, so. yeah, I mean, other guys have either lost to Marais, or they're not quite there yet, like Pedro Munoz, right? Yeah. So, Garbrandt's had those... He's, I mean, had, he's on back-to-back knockout losses. Yeah. Three, actually, three knockout losses in a row. Yeah. So this is this is really, I think, the best thing you can do for the division right now. Um, I mean, if you wanted to keep it within the division, this would be a rematch probably between Marais and uh, Sterling. Is probably the next most deserving guy because while he did get knocked out brutally by Marlon, he's won I think two or three since then. True, but I mean, look, this is a fresh matchup, and you have another UFC champion fighting. For another title, so who who beat who was the last guy to beat the last bantamweight champ? Um, so everything kind of worked out. So thank you, T.J. Dillashaw, for being a moron and cheating. Thank you for che- <laughs> thank you for cheating the sport, T.J. By oh, yeah. it's weird by trying to cheat the sport, he has arguably saved this division. Well, I mean, he's still gonna have killed flyweight successfully, so there's that. Uh, I mean, argue. I mean, that's not all his fault. No, it's not. I'm again, like Henry. You and I mentioned this at the time when they announced when Cejudo successfully defended the belt against TJ, when he just said, "Yeah, I've saved the flyweight division. Now let me go up to bantamweight and fight for that belt." Like, right. buddy, <laughs> that's not how that works. Well, hopefully they can finally sort out the flyweight division at least and just put it at, put it out of its misery. Um, I'm picking I'm picking Marais. I'm yeah. just picking Marais. I'm sorry, Henry Cejudo, picking Marais. This, this is, is 
I've wanted it. And you know what? Because I'm so arrogant and because I want this so badly, the MMA gods are going to deny me this, Robert. <laughs> I can feel it. Well, at least you're prepared for it then. You know what? So even though I'm picking Marais, lightning is going to strike in the octagon and Henry Cejudo is going to get another flash knock. Just my luck. You know, I'm I'm also picking Marais. I I've been I've been Marlon was one of the guys. He's he is knocked off the toughest contenders in this division. And and uh, non controversially, I mean he knocked out in back to. I thought he, he won the Dotson fight, but that wasn't split to see. I mean, I thought he won the the first Dawson Sal fight, yeah. and that was his only loss. And then he and then he finished Dawson Sal brutal. Yeah. I mean, look at his last three fights. He knocks out Aljamain Sterling with a brutal knee that mm -hmm. to the jaw. That was one of my favorite knockouts of last year, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, knocks out Jimmy Rivera with a head kick one year ago. Mm -hmm. I know that because that memory popped up on Facebook, and God, that switch of his feet is so brilliant. Then he rematches Austin Sow and chokes him out in the first round. Fantastic. I mean, Austin Sow hadn't been finished, I think, <laughs> since the Faber fight up at Featherweight years ago in WEC. And, and Marlon went through him like a buzzsaw. I, I was, again, Marlon was one of the guys I would make time to watch when he was fighting in the World Series of Fighting. There weren't a lot of guys in that promotion I made time to watch. Him and Gaethje were two of them. I again, I was very excited when he debuted in the UFC. I'm glad he's found his footing. I've, I, I've been picking him to win. That said, I'm not. I have. I'm done being surprised by Henry Cejudo overperforming, and I'm, I even question whether or not I should call it overperforming. Cejudo is an. Cejudo is one of the more exceptional combat sports athletes the United States has produced in the last decade. He's this, the first Olympic gold medalist to win a UFC title. Yes, and he was, if you, I don't know how many of you remember his run at the Olympics that year, he was the underdog in literally every match he competed in. He was, when we say not supposed to win, he was not supposed to win any of those match anything, really, at that Olympics. And he walked out with gold through grit and determination and being very, very good. He transitions. I mean, think about this. Whether I agree with the decision or not in the Demetrius Johnson fight, and I, for the record, I don't, but my opinion matters nothing. He beat in back-to-back -back fights Demetrius Johnson and TJ Dillashaw. I, I mean, those two were pound-for-pound -pound staples for a long time. They're people who I maintain have done a tremendous amount of work advancing the sport of mixed martial arts. I think there's a lot of people who are going to study Dillashaw and Johnson in terms of how they advanced technical application within the sport of mixed martial arts. And he's beat both of them. If he beats Marlon Moraes on the backs of that, I mean, that's one of the most ridiculous streaks you can go on. Again, it's not the longest, but he will have... I mean, A, I thought he got screwed in the Joseph Benavidez fight. I thought he won that fight. But he will have beaten, along that route, Wilson Hayes, Sergio Pettis, Demetrius Johnson, TJ Dillashaw, and Marlon Moraes, if he wins. 
It's hard to find a more impressive five-fight streak than that. This is... Again, Henry Cejudo is an exceptional competitor. And again, I'm picking Marlon. I think there's a bit of a size differential that's going to play against him. I think Marlon hits really, really hard. I think Marlon's hand and foot speed is going to present problems. Especially if Cejudo again decides he's not going to do anything about leg kicks. Which was... The big thing in, again, the second fight with Demetrius Johnson, DJ kept tagging him with leg kicks, and he just never addressed it. Uh, and Marlon kicked significantly harder than Demetrius. I'm picking Marlon Marais, but I'm I'm looking forward to this fight, and it, it sucks that it's going to be essentially the death knell of flyweight whether Cejudo wins or loses. But... I, I'm not going to be surprised if Henry Cejudo wins. I'm just going to put it like that because these types of fights with these with this level of competitor, it, either guy can it takes just the smallest of mistakes that the other guy capitalizes on to put you down, and they've both proven themselves capable of doing that. All right, your co-main event for the women's flyweight title, Valentina Shevchenko will be defending the belt. Against Jessica I. I don't want... I, I hate to just count someone out wholesale. I really do, because that that's when bad things happen. So I've been thinking and trying to figure out how is Jessica... How is What's Jessica I's path to victory? What does she do? I'm what, counting her out. She has none. I've been trying to figure out what... The path to victory is Shevchenko getting lazy and getting sloppy. That's what I, that is. I mean, even that's not enough. Let me be, because I don't think Jessica I hits hard enough to really. <laughs> I mean, Shevchenko went five rounds with Amanda Nunes. Like, I, I there's no way Jessica I hits harder than Amanda Nunes. I Amanda Nunes is a ridiculously powerful puncher. His only finish in the UFC was Leslie Smith, and was that the fight where her ear basically exploded? Yep. Yeah. That's so she... the only finishing victory in the UFC. And I think two of her current winning streak fights are like split decisions that, that I, I either disagree with. Leslie or... Smith, that was that was over four years ago. It was in November two thousand fourteen. So we're talking over four and a half years. Yeah, she's uh... again. I, I don't really want to count her out completely, but yeah, you the, do. The primary methodology yeah. that Jessica I uses to win a fight. There's there's two ways. One involves her out wrestling her opponent and getting top control and just kind of hanging out there. He's a grinder. I don't think she has the ability to consistently take down Valentina Shevchenko. Better wrestlers than Jessica I have struggled mightily to have any success consistently taking her down. I mean, uh, Juliana Pena struggled to get her down. Um, Amanda Nunes struggled to get her down. Those are bigger, stronger women who are predominant, who are, you know, grapplers by trade. I'm not saying Jessica I is not going to get a single takedown in this fight. She might get one or two, but I have a really hard time seeing her having continued success there. Her striking is pretty bad. It consists largely of either standing square in her, uh, flat in her stance, or when she tries to close distance, she squares up. 
closes her eyes, keeps everything, uh, keeps her head and her upper torso in a straight line, and kind of charges forward with arm punches. She did that a lot against, uh, Chukagian and, crap, what was the other one? And I have to look up her, who she fought before Caitlin Chukagian. Uh, Rose, Jessica Rose Clark. That was the other one she did a lot of that in. And that will work okay against someone like Caitlin Chukagian, who'd rather shadow box and key eye than actually hit you. Or Jessica Rose Clark, who's relatively immobile and you can transition into a, you know, a trip double leg off of it or something. Valentina likes you doing that because it lets her easily angle off and land a check hook. Which is her primary counter-strike technique. I I think Jessica I's gonna get hit a lot. And I mean again, I think the big again, I don't want to completely counter out because injuries are a thing. Other randomness is a thing as far as fighting goes. But I think the big question around this is 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 whether or not Shevchenko gets a finish out of this. And I honestly think that's going to come down to Jessica I, not her toughness, but the decision she makes after she gets after she spends a couple of rounds getting hit. If she has a couple of really bad rounds, and then just decides to circle away and try to see the final bell, I don't. I think Shevchenko will be happy to let her do that and just you know score enough to win the decision. If she constantly keeps trying to be aggressive and walks onto and into more and more counters, I think uh, Shevchenko might be able to get the finish off of this, but... I hope I'm... Shevchenko... I feel like this is a, a fight Shevchenko can finish. And I feel like she should. I mean, I, I don't disagree. I think Shevchenko's a very, very gifted fighter. But I mean, she also... Wanna, I mean, Joanna is probably one of the tougher opponents she'll face in her career. Uh, second toughest. Yeah, so one of the toughest. Yeah, one of. I mean... Except maybe Amanda Nunez. Yeah, I mean, I don't think she's... I, I would be shocked if Valentina winds up fighting someone better than Amanda Nunez at some point, because Amanda Nunez is a beast. But, I mean, look, Ioana was an amazing champion of her division, and was very dominant, so... And yeah, Joanna had almost nothing beat, for. But she did beat her. She did beat her in kickboxing before. Her, but Several times. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was not a competitive rivalry. Um, I'm picking Valentina by knockout in the third round. All right, and uh I want this fight to have five rounds. I really do. I'm so sad this fight's not five rounds. I'm kind of sad this fight is happening. I know. It's two of your favorite fighters squaring up against each other, and that's always rough. And one of them has to lose. They could fight to a draw. <laughs> they could. That's highly unlikely given the principles. Kind of, even a draw would make me depressed. Eh, there's still a week. Somebody could fall out. I'm going to be basically depressed no matter what the outcome is. Any outcome will cause depression. Yeah, whether they actually fight or whether or not one of them gets injured or fails a drug test or something before the fight, yeah. Uh, next up again, we have Tony Ferguson versus Donald Cerrone, and again, I want five rounds of this insane. I want, I want a title to be, I, I, I want a title to be on the line. Script Khabib. 
and make this your make make this three title fights. I mean, yeah. if you were to strip Khabib, you just have to promote Poirier, and then you'd make this an interim title fight. No, keep Poirier as the interim title and make this for the actual title. Or you could make this for the other interim title, and then the two interims no. will finally. Look, nope. Poirier, Poirier's not gonna look. Ferguson I, should be fighting for the legitimate title. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. <laughs> I wish he were, but uh, again, it's unfortunate that he's not. He should have. He should have fought for the title a while ago. He's had that kind of run. Like it's unfortunate that injuries and other issues have just and. Well, okay, I'm going to say other issues. Let me be clear. Those aren't all his. Again, he's had injuries that have derailed things. And he's had his own mental health issues. Which... With fighters, you know, attacking bosses. And, and yeah, then there was Sorry. all that shenanigans with Connor. Shenanigans with, with the matchmaking. Yeah. It, again, have... it sucks for it sucks for Tony. It really does. Yeah, now, look, Tony also deserves some of the blame in wearing sunglasses inside. Yeah, he's got he's he's, um, he's been injured. He's injured himself. He tripped okay. like like tripping over equipment. Like I've tripped over things and I haven't like torn a ligament, you know? I mean, come on. And I'm about as clumsy as anyone out there. Um He he deserves some of the blame for that. I that but I don't know what, but here's my, here's my big thing. I'm concerned about his personal life and if he's really ready to get back in. That's my main concern for this. More than anything. I imagine he's going to be asked about it in the lead up to the fight. So we'll, we'll get more of his perspective over the next week. Cause I mean, I'll tell you in the lead up to the rematch between Gustafson and John Jones, Gustafson sound like he already lost before that fight. His demeanor. And sometimes it's not always accurate, but I just thought going in his demeanor, it sounded like he didn't even want to be in that fight and want to be fighting John Jones. So hopefully he's okay and hopefully he's ready to go. Cause if you're not ready against Donald Cerrone, he will take your head off. Very true. Um, I love this fight so much. I'm thinking Ferguson. Yeah. Everything aside, Ferguson is the most dangerous lightweight on the planet. And I believe he is the best lightweight in the world. He's certainly the most, he's probably among the most violent, the two or three most violent lightweights in the world. And yeah, I, I'm so, I, I can't tell you how pissed I have been over the few years that we haven't gotten him and Khabib because I want that fight more than anything in MMA. I want those two to fight. I also want Cerrone versus Gagey, but for well, other I mean, reasons. Now we have this thing with Poirier where where Poirier has to get the fight next and Unless he gets injured. And then Habib has won't be able to fight again until November. No, he's fighting before that. What, September maybe? Um, hang on, let me look up my list. Because they, they're primarily in talks with him to main event that card in um, Abu Dhabi. Which is September 7th, so 2.42. I believe is kind of the date they're looking at for his return. So he and Poirier would again. That I think that's where they have that, pe where they have that penciled in. 
they're still negotiating it, but and they haven't announced anything officially. But I believe that's what everyone in talks has mentioned is the direction things are headed. So. Uh, yeah, I'm picking Tony. Donald just doesn't deal well with pressure. He never has. Uh, and I mean forward physical pressure, not mental pressure. He seems to have turned a corner on that. And Tony Ferguson doesn't take a backward step, man. <laughs> I expect blood. I expect elbows and knees and insanity. But Tony Ferguson pushes a really high pace. And it's not that Cerrone's cardio is bad, because it isn't. But there's not a lot of guys I think can genuinely keep up with the pace of Tony Ferguson, especially over three rounds. He just, he doesn't stop. At all. Anywhere. <laughs> it's crazy. His cardio is crazy. Look at the pace he keeps consistently for five rounds against Rafael Dos Anjos in Mexico City. And then look up the elevation of Mexico City. It's crazy that he was able to do that. Uh, I've, I've got Tony here. I just, I hope this fight holds together because sweet, sweet Tony Ferguson and Donald Cerrone violence. And let me also be clear. If Tony wins, he better not sign anything that's not a title fight. And the UFC shouldn't offer him anything that isn't a title fight after this. Uh, it's ridiculous that he hasn't fought for the belt yet. And again, some of that circumstance, some of that's on him, some of that's on the cash grabs at various times, I get it. Just because I get it doesn't mean it's not ridiculous. There's plenty of things in life that are ridiculous, that are still the things they are. You know, that, that doesn't change the nature of reality. But yeah, that, oh god, hook that into my veins, man. Then give me Cerrone and Gagey, just because... That's what I want, man. I want five rounds of those two maniacs. Put it in Denver, man. Put that in Colorado. And let them, let them try to kill each other. Ugh. <laughs> just, oh yeah, just, that's what I want. That, that, like, that level of violence is just, would make me so happy. I know, I'm a sick person. Uh, next up, speaking of violence, the Siberian gangster Peter Yan is fighting Jimmy Rivera. Uh, I like this fight. Uh, <laughs> again, uh, Peter Yawn's been on my radar for a while. Uh, a few of his ACB fights kind of turned me on to him, especially the split decision loss to Magomed Magomedov that I think he won. And then he he avenged that like a fight later and won the title. He's he's a really, really good fighter. He fights out of both stances. He's a good boxer. There's not a lot of good boxers in MMA. But he moves his body, he moves his trunk well, he moves his head well, he goes to the head and body, he has combinations that he uses, and Jimmy Rivera's a stiff test. I mean, Jan's last fight was John Dodson, which, and he blew Dodson pretty much out of the water. And you know, Rivera's a step up from that. I mean, Rivera only has two losses in the UFC to Maurice and Sterling. And I'm picking Yon here. I think his pace, because again, he's a pace guy. His combination work, I think he's going to give Jimmy problems. Jimmy's going to have moments of success, but unless he's really able to find an exploitable hole in, say, Yon's wrestling, and is able to find some kind of top position that he's able to exploit, I see him struggling a lot here, you know, barring a, you know, 
because and Jimmy hits hard, so it's not like he can't catch him. But Jan is a much more technically proficient striker, and I I think Peter Jan wins here. Uh, I mean, he's already had his coming out party, as far as I'm concerned, in the UFC. But this this might open up a few more eyes and continue his ascent through the ranks. So I'm looking forward to this one. There's only one fight on the main card I'm not looking forward to, and that's coming up next. So. Uh, Jeff, Peter Yan, and Jimmy Rivera. Am I overhyping Yan, or how do you see this going? Uh, okay. Ah, sorry about that, everyone. Minor technical difficulty. Hopefully this doesn't sound too weird when it gets kind of patched together. Uh, this gets to be my first time experimenting with splicing audio, so yay me. Anyway, Jeff, uh, your thoughts on Peter Yan and Jimmy Rivera? It's a tough fight. I'm glad Peter Yan is getting a fight like this. It's a, it's a good fight for Jimmy Rivera as well. I'm going for Peter Young, and I'm pulling for him to rise to the occasion here. Okay. Uh, and kicking off the main card, we have a heavyweight fight, which is what I'm not looking forward to. Boom, heavyweights. But uh, We have Tai Tuivasa, who is at least very infrequently in boring fights, coming off of his first career loss against Junior Dos Santos, and he will be fighting Blagoy Ivanov, who's coming off of two really just awkward fights in the UFC. One was a loss to Junior Dos Santos. One was a win over Ben Rothwell. This is a relatively safe fight for Tuivasa as far as rebounds go, because Ivanov's unlikely to really cause any damage. and is a very, very beatable opponent. So I got Tuivasa here, and hopefully, and then, you know, that will be kind of the start of his hype rebuilding after he couldn't deal with Junior, so. Yeah, I got Tuivasa, and I'm gonna be surprised if Ivanov's even still in the UFC 18 months from now. He's just, he's not very good and he's not very exciting, and you need to be one, if not you need to be at least one of those for sustained success in the UFC, hopefully both, so. Uh, Jeff, how do you see this one? Is... Is Ivanov going to surprise people here and upset Bam Bam? No. We're going we're gonna to get the shoey on Saturday night. Ugh, Disgusting. But uh, anyway, that's your main card. And it's a good... Again, that's about the best main card we've had all year. Now, again, there's nothing really for casual fans apart from the existence of Cerrone versus Ferguson on this card. And that was kind of a later edition. But if you know anything about, if you follow the UFC at all, again, beyond a casual level, this is a darn good card. I mean, this is, it's hard to get better than this. It really is. Uh, as for the prelims, these aren't bad either. Uh, okay, they get worse as time goes on. But uh, there's a relevant strawweight fight between Tatiana Suarez and Nina Ansaroff. The winner here is probably in the title picture. Um, Suarez is, I believe, undefeated. Yeah, she's 7-0. and She's finished three of her four UFC wins. She bludgeoned Carla Esparza in her last fight. And Ansaroff is on a career best run, I think. She's won four in a row. Uh, she last beat Claudia Gedalia, which may not mean what it used to, but still means something. 
and both have interesting styles that match up with uh, our new champion, Jessica Andrade. So, it's, uh, again, this is a relevant fight. I think Suarez probably takes it, just her wrestling is so good. And you need to have something that'll really kind of dissuade her from that, and I don't think Ansaroff does. Um, Aljamain Sterling fights Pedro Munoz. Uh, Munoz coming off of, you know, that uh, big win over Cody Garbrandt. I mean, Munoz only has, what, two losses in the UFC? Yeah, two. He had one uh, no contest after he failed a drug test, but yeah, he had lost a split de decision to Jimmy Rivera and a split decision to John Dodson. Munoz is pretty good. And Sterling is uh, surging since the loss to Marais. He's won three in a row over Brett Johns, Cody Staman, and Jimmy Rivera. So the winner is, again, relatively close to the title picture, assuming we gain any clarity at bantamweight over the course of this night and then the coming weeks. Uh, I'm going to pick Sterling. I just I don't know how successful Munoz is going to be at closing distance on him. And Munoz has a bad habit of jumping for guillotines, and Sterling's a, probably the better grappler all around. At women's strawweight, Karolina Kovalkiewicz will fight Alexa Grosso. Uh, Grosso is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. She's coming off of a loss to Suarez. Whereas Kovalkiewicz was last seen losing to Michelle Waterson. Uh, this isn't necessarily sink or swim for Grosso, but She's kind of reaching that point where she's got to win these bigger fights. And, I mean, she's still young. She's still talented in a lot of respects. And she's only 25. Jeez. But I think she can win this fight. I mean, Carolina's a, not, not a gimme by any stretch of the imagination. But the way they match up, I can see Grosso taking this. At featherweight, Ricardo Lamas and Calvin Cater. That's going to be... That's wow. That's a pretty good fight. Um, Lamas coming off of that win over Elkins, where he actually finished the cyborg um, to break a two-fight losing streak. I do kind of like Cater here. Uh, I think Lamas is on the downside of things, but that fight has some potential. Lamas will get into a brawl on occasion, even though he's not very good at it. And Cater is a very smooth striker, so that, that's a pretty good fight. Um, we have Yan Shaunan against Angela Hill. Uh, Yan has yet to lose in the UFC. She's 3-0. and uh, She's she's a really solid fighter. She was supposed to fight Felice Herrig here, but Herrig got injured, and Angela Hill stepped in to replace her. I probably would have picked Yan over Herrig, and I'm going to pick her here over Hill. But uh, Angela Hill might finally be finding her stride after kind of struggling with a few things. Uh, Bevan Lewis will fight Darren Stewart at middleweight. Uh, Darren two-win Stewart. Um, that guy had a rough start to his UFC career. Uh, Lewis, I believe, is one of the uh, Contender Series guys. I'm actually going to go with Lewis. Uh, Stewart is just... He's just wildly inconsistent. And kicking everything off, we have Caitlin Chukagian against Joanne Calderwood. Uh, I'm going with Calderwood here. I'm just... 
I've never really been impressed with Caitlin Chikagian, and I think Joanne Calderwood's probably going to do some abusive things to her. All right, Jeff, those are our prelims, and there's a few good ones kind of hanging out in there. So uh, what are you looking forward to? What's on your mind? Let's see. Well, the Aljamain Sterling fight, Pedro Munoz, that fight really should be on the main card. Yeah, you could replace you know, the, the heavyweight fight with that fight. I mean, it's a, do we really need a heavyweight fight on the main card, Robert? I don't think we need a heavyweight division. <laughs> That's very good. Um, Kovalkiewicz versus Grosso is a good fight, don't you think? Yeah. I mean, not maybe not an outstanding fight, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's a good prelim fight, and I don't mean that disparagingly. I think Lamas versus Qatar is okay, even though Lamas hasn't been spectacular lately. I mean, he's a tough veteran. Um. And Qatar could be an interesting prospect, so we'll see. Even well, Qatar's he, only UFC losses to Moicano. Yeah, so I mean, he rebounded. He rebounded from the Moicano loss, and now he's he's facing a former title contender. So this could be a good, uh, an interesting matchup here. I like. I kind of like that matchup. Nothing else too much really sticks out in my mind, but there's a couple. The ESPN prelims have a couple interesting fights there. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and again, I will have coverage of that on Saturday, so stop by, say hello, enjoy the violence with me. That's always appreciated. Uh, that will be in the MMA zone of 411mania.com, so you know where to find me if you're so inclined. Uh, all right. As for the news, not a ton of news necessarily, but uh, let's start, I suppose, with uh, Yoel Romero, uh, who was awarded a $27 million judgment. I believe it was something like that, uh, for the manufacturer of the supplement that caused him to fail uh, his drug test. Um, I've seen a couple of different takes on this. Uh, there's a few things here that I think I want to sort out. One is, you know, good for Romero. You know, there's a lot of fighters who gets, who have been kind of screwed by the fact that the supplement industry is unregulated basically. There's a lot of groups that will pop up, run, uh, manufacture a bunch of stuff in their kitchen for three weeks, then disappear, start a different company with a different name in someone else's kitchen, and resume doing it. And I think that's probably what we're dealing with here with Romero, because the company that he sued didn't even send a uh, any kind of legal representation to the hearing, uh, which is why he kind of got the summary judgment. They just didn't have a response. I don't think he'll see any of that money, but you know what? I do hope he bankrupts the people involved. Um, Tim Means is suing one of the supplement manufacturers because he got kind of the same deal, and I hope he does the same thing. Uh as long as you're were unable to really kind of get any sort of regulatory office in place, and I say that as a small government guy, I don't like excessive regulation. I mean, frankly, I'd be fine if there were just legitimate state regulation in place, but that's not really a thing either. Happened, I wonder whatever happened to Bigfoot Silva suing that doctor over the TRT, which was a thing some years back. Do you remember that? 
I remember them. I remember the noise around it. I don't remember what happened. Yeah, because I mean, like, we, that's kind of my problem with law, these lawsuits is that you will usually hear about a lawsuit, but you, you you won't always hear about the aftermath, and the media kind of loses interest in these stories. Um, so I kind of wonder what happened with that lawsuit. I know with the Mark Hunt lawsuits, not I believe not all, but some of the uh, counts I believe were tossed out. If memory serves, all but one. Correct. Um, and no disrespect to Mark Hunt, but you know, in, in these kind of situations, the only people who get rich are the lawyers. Especially considering the the uh, at the legal case he brought forward against them, he did not have a lot of firm footing there. Yeah. Um, but at the very least, for Yoel Romero, this is a moral victory for him. Yeah. To, because it, it didn't really hurt his career that much, but it did, it did cause some damage. Some damage was done to him because of this. And, um, I think we do, I think we do need a referendum on the supplements industry because this is a problem. Yeah. And what I, I feel like we do need, we do need regulation for the supplement industry. Some, we need something. I would be uh, again. I I agree, I don't disagree, and I say that as a guy who wants less government, generally speaking. I I know kind of the reason they're not regulated. It's actually yeah, because of the. Be, I mean, they can't be trusted to do it on their own. That's the thing. Oh no, they absolutely can't be trusted to do it on their own. I again, I'd rather there were you know really strong state laws in place. I mean, just for but, example, just for example, I would rather we not have government regulation for loot boxes and video games. But the video game industry has done terrible in policing itself on this issue. And if we need the government to step in to keep them from committing anti-consumer practices, I'm all for it. Because, look, the video game industry gave itself a ratings board and a rating system to, to prevent the government from doing it. And they, I mean, the film industry did the same thing. They self, they self regulated, but yeah. now they're failing in another area and their response to it has been abysmal. So in this case, I feel like the supplement industry is not, they're not responding to these claims legitimately. They're not doing a good job, and if they're not going to do it themselves, someone has to do it for them. It's that simple. I agree, and I'm a little bit more familiar with elements of this than a lot of people because this and this is a really small thing, maybe, but I do live in Utah. Utah's kind of the mecca for this crap, in no small part because a big proponent of keeping the supplement industry unregulated was the senator from Utah who retired a couple of years ago, Orrin Hatch. He was a, a, a large proponent of keeping it unregulated, and I can't speak to his motivation. Uh, and, I mean, the supplement industry does, in terms of what they provide, fall into a bit of a gray area as far as what it, what, you know, what bureaucracy should oversee them. But, again, I, I agree. It's pretty clearly been documented at this point that there that something has to change and the market is not going to be sufficient means in this instance 
because the market, by and large, doesn't actually care about the issues being brought up by these tests, by some of these testing issues for professional athletes. The, the by and large market for supplements is not a, is not a professional athlete who really has to worry about being tested. So they don't care if there's actually uh, you know, elements of an anabolic in their in you know protein that they take because it provides them with better results. And if you're not being tested, then who cares? Which is uh, a very fair. Uh, bear in mind, I don't mean that facetiously. I mean steroids in large part got smeared in popular culture for reasons unclear to me personally. I mean, again, it's cheating if you're agreed to compete in a competition where it is specifically against the rules. If you and your personal life want to utilize chemical enhancement to make your life better, Godspeed and party on. We're all going to get there eventually. But yeah, I I don't disagree that there needs to be something done. There's a lot. There's a pretty significant issue with the lack of oversight as far as the supplement industry goes. Okay. So moving on from that, um, three fighters have been let go from the UFC, including Elias Theodoro. You must be happy about that. I talked about it last week, but if you have any thoughts, um. I think it was the right move. He just was... He got a step up in competition and he looked like hot garbage. Um, his performances were just nothing to write home about. Um, like, I think he earned his spot in the UFC for a while, but he just wasn't... More and more and more, he just wasn't looking like a UFC caliber fighter. Am I being unfair? Uh... A little, but not okay. really. I mean, I said it last week, so... Um, I said it last week. This is a, He'd been in the UFC for seven years, I think. Yeah. I feel like he hit his ceiling, you know? Yeah. Uh, and his ceiling was uninteresting to the public and not a top... and not really capable of being in the top ten of the division, and... And the UFC seems to have arrived at the conclusion that it's time to cut bait with this guy. We know who he is as a fighter at this point. I mean, you can have rough growing pains in the UFC. Plenty of fighters have. But after as long as he's been in the UFC, he, again, like 11 fights, he was 8-3, and three, I believe, yeah. over 7 years, and he's now had over 20 fights professionally, by that point when you're a fighter, you kind of are who you are, with, ver with it, there are exceptions. But generally speaking, the cement is settled at that point. Uh, I'm sad to see Wilson Hayes go because he was a good fighter. A lot of good flyweights there have been letting go of. Um, yeah, the whole flyweight situation is sad to me. Uh, so you were right about Nick Hine. He did retire today. So sorry, Nick Hine. Sad to see you go. Kind of odd to see him retire after that fight. I wonder what precipitated that. I mean, he had some decent fights in the UFC. He wasn't a guy who I, whose name I saw on a card and went, ugh. Which is becoming more and more of a rarity. Okay, so then what else? Um... Well, Justin Willis got released. I talked a little bit about that last week as well, but if you have any thoughts on that one. No, I do not. So we have the 
UFC 241, it's now officially going to be Holloway versus Edgar. You see them square up? I did not see that. No, when did that happen? Uh, just just the announcement. They had them show up and for like a okay. minor photo op. But you see them next to each other? No, why? Max Holloway is significantly larger than well, Frankie Edgar. Max Holloway, I mean, let's be fair, Robert. Edgar was smaller than most of the opponents he beat throughout his career. I know, but I I knew including, including Gray Maynard. Let me put it like this. I knew Max was bigger. Yeah. But the the height disparity was a little bit surprising to me when I they mean, actually stood big, next to each he's other. He's featherweight, and he always has been. Um, and, you know, Frankie could make bantamweight if he really wanted to. Um, I just, my, my issue there, I just hope the fight stays together this time. And considering, and now that considering um, Volkanovski was as sick as he was, it kind of makes sense, more sense to make that fight. Even though I wanted Volkanovski was the fight I wanted. He was like he is the deser- he's the most deserving contender. His fight was almost his leg was almost amputated after his last fight. That's how bad it was. Um, did you cover this Alex Oliveira thing yet? Not yet. That's your uh, allegations there. I th- was he arrested. I don't know if he was arrested. Um, given his... his ex-wife told the police he was under the influence of alcohol, insisted on riding a motorcycle while carrying his five-month-old son. This is according to MMA Fighting. Was that his month ex- or a year? It says five-month-old son. Oh, God. When his no. ex-wife attempted to stop him from doing it, Oliveira allegedly hit her and drove away with the child. His son was left with Oliveira's sister sometime later um <coughs> police officials uh told MMA fighting Oliveira had been accused of getting into an altercation with a security man in a party um look Alex so Alex there, Oliveira is the whole details of this he's uh he's always been a bit of a wild man i mean he's got Correct me if I'm wrong here. I believe he has children with like three or four different women. Um, he's he's just one of those guys, and there's a lot of them in the in the sport. I'm not happy about it. I hope he gets help if that's what he needs, because putting a five month old on a motorcycle is just criminal. But it's he's always kind of. Ha- He's always kind of been one of those guys, you know? And if all you know of him is his fights, even that should give you a little bit of a clue, considering he's a bit of a dirty fighter. Um, oh. UFC uh, strawweight champion Jessica Andrade got carjacked over the week. For those keeping track of that. Um... Apparently she was in a really, just a really, I don't know if rough is the right word, but uh, Guillerme Cruz uh, had a tweet about that same neighborhood. Just like later in the week, like the there was some kind of like violent action that started as the result of police, uh, like the police apparently killed a drug dealer. 
And one of the responses around this area was, I don't know if it was a full-blown riot, but there was a pretty big fire that was that he had video of that he showed. Um, parts of Brazil, man. And uh, I think that was in Rio. And, and Rio de, de Janeiro is a very large city. And like any very large city, there's some places that are perfectly safe, and there's some places where you just don't go. Uh, so it seems that particular area is on the destabilized side of things. So hopefully, again, she doesn't, I don't think she was you know, injured or harmed in that, but that sucks, man. She got, again, getting robbed at gunpoint like that is a pretty terrible thing. It's still a developing story. I don't really want to comment too heavily on that until we know more. Um, you might have talked about it, but uh, so the Uriah Faber is coming out of retirement for another fight in Sacramento. It's an odd fight, uh, Ricky Simon. I don't really get him coming out of retirement for this fight. Well, if you don't mind kind of meshing another point with this, that UFC Sacramento card is not good. Okay. Have you seen the main event? So, do you think he's doing a solid here for for the UFC? You think yeah, I think there's some of that. I think he also wants to continue competing. I think they gave him a fight that's very winnable, even though Ricky Simone is a bit of a savage. Going to beat him. Uh, Ricky Simone could win this fight. Uh, he's he, he's a guy that gets he's underestimated. He's not a young man anymore. He's not no. a stud. At all. Is the, is the main event really Jermaine Durandame versus Aspen Lack? Yes, it is. Wow. Terrible main event. Um, if the fight was Faber versus Dillashaw, I would understand. But th that's not the fight they're making. I, I don't know if Faber's coming out of retirement for a one-off just to if, fight in Sacramento. Even if it was Dominic Cruz, it wouldn't make sense to me. If it was Dillashaw, I would be like, okay, go ahead. Get your skull cave then. I mean, for, and for the record, I think TJ would kill him. I mean... Ricky I don't, th I don't think that's a competitive Ricky fight. Ricky Simone might kill him, Robert. I mean, come on here. True. Um, I'm actually leaning towards Simone in that fight. Uh, he really... Honestly... His, his win over Yaya was really impressive. Yeah. But yeah, that that it, card is that what card's about rough. Darren Elkins versus Faber. Uh, Elkins trains out of Team Alpha Male. Oh, he's at Team Alpha Instant. Ugh. And Elkins is a featherweight. This is I a bantamweight. I don't think I, I I don't think it makes sense. Other than he's doing a, you know, he's he. It wasn't like he was punched out of the sport, you know, with Faber, but. My issue is is that Faber ended his career on on all things considered a fairly positive note, you know? I mean he beat Brad Pickett in a very Uriah Faber performance. They were they were in Sacramento for that, right? Uh let me see. Where was that fight? I Yeah, it was in Sacramento. He like got that, to go out with a win in his hometown. Yeah, like that's as good as for Faber, that's as good an ending as you you'll ever get for your career. Yeah, again, unless he just really still doesn't know what to do with himself without fighting. I find that hard to believe. Though. I do, too. He's got plenty of other business interests. Like, 
he he's not a guy that has ever been and I'm not a fan, mind you. And he seems like he's done well. Yeah, oh, he has a lot of stuff that he does outside of fighting. He yeah. had, like, real estate developments. He had other businesses that he was involved in. He did a lot of stuff. Like, there's plenty to keep him occupied. Unless he just really has a competitive fire within him that's like, he doesn't feel as satisfied yet. In which case, fine. Come back and, you know, fight a savage like Ricky Simone that no one knows about. And potentially get your head taken off. But, yeah, yeah, that card is not a really good card right now. And things might change. They might be able to add some value to it, but... Faber versus Ricky Simone doesn't really make it a better card. I mean, Faber makes... Faber's the the name that they're trying to use to get some tickets sold. I'm I'm very concerned. I just don't see... I just don't understand it. it. It doesn't make sense. Other than they really need a name to fill up the Sacramento... I mean, they couldn't make up a better, they couldn't come up with a better main event than Ladd and Durandamy. I mean, if that's, if that's your main event, you might as well just put Faber or Simone as the main event. That's what we're doing now. I don't disagree. I mean, and, and look, let me be clear. I have no issue with Aspen Ladd. Five rounds. Make it three rounds. You know? They've had situations where they've ended up with three round main events recently, haven't they? Uh. A couple times. Really rare, but yeah. Like uh, Adesanya versus Silva. That yeah, was that was the, that was the first one in many years. Um, I, I just wanted to say I don't have an issue with Lad versus Durandamy as a fight. It's a good fight. Aspen Lad's a very very talented fighter. She's one of the only real up and coming prospects in that division, along with uh, along with like Ketlin Vieja. I don't think it's a good main event. <laughs> And, no, not at and, all. And those are distinct, and those are different. I, I think those are different discussions. So it's a perfectly acceptable fight, but as a main event, yeah, not so much. Uh, yeah. So that's about it there. Um, anything else for major news? Let me see. Let me refresh Twitter. See if anything random happened over the last. I thought what John Jones said to Gustafsson, I mean, good for him for saying that, at least in being, you know, showing respect to the guy. Cormier said something really nice about him, too. Again, the other two best guys in the division have a deep respect for him as a competitor. Uh, That ought to tell you what you know about. I mean, look, Gustafsson really needed that challenge, I think, because a lot of people... People, I think, were starting to get bored with him, with him being such a dominant fighter for some reason. And that that happens sometimes. Anytime you are that good, yeah, you need something to kind of shake things up and get people to really pay attention. And that fight, you know, it gave it gave Jones a good fight and a good rivalry, really, even though even though the fight did kind of take a long time to finally materialize again, just because of the circumstances. But, you know, good on them for saying that, at least, because Gustafsson was a, he was a great fighter for that division for quite a while. Um, I mean, I suppose the UFC announced that they're going to debut in Denmark in September. They announced that on uh, the, uh, the last card. 
interesting. Just checking off. I think they're just checking off another country from the list. Uh, I don't think they've been, they haven't been to Denmark before, but uh, there's some pretty there's some decent Danish fighters they could bring. So, and I mean the UFC European contingent is. It's not eh, again. This card on Saturday was on the lower end of that. They they might surprise you and bring up something good. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything else that's really really got uh, as far as news goes that has come out recently. So let's go ahead and do plugs then. So it's been a couple of weeks. I know you had a bunch of stuff that you did in Vegas for AEW Double or Nothing, and you uh, you interviewed uh, the Hurricane. <laughs> I, I saw that you posted yeah, that today. So, so what's that, up? So for the 411 Wrestling Interviews podcast, check that out on iTunes in our in our 411 Mania YouTube right now. It's live. Talk to Hurricane Helms, who now works as a producer for WWE. It was a very interesting and enlightening interview. Apparently... He's made up with Shawn Michaels. It talks a little bit about the whole John Moxley thing and his complaints about. I don't know if you've heard about the whole John Moxley, whole Chris Jericho and his grievances with WWE. I am aware of the uh, of yeah, I'm aware of that. So he gets a little bit into just kind of the creative process for WWE, what he does as a producer. And his thoughts on wrestlers doing the major complaint is is that promos are too scripted right now, and he has some unique thoughts on that. People might be interested to hear. Uh, in movie reviews, I reviewed Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and uh, Rocket Man. I thought Rocket Man had a great performance by Taron Egerton as uh, Elton John. Some great music. I enjoyed King of the Monsters for the most part. I mean. I'm a little surprised that the movie got bad reviews and the first movie in 2014 got great reviews when I feel like the first movie has not aged well at all. Like, not at all. Um, I can I can tell you why the, why the critical reaction is different. Why? Because the underlying story, not execution, but the underlying narrative, purely the narrative writing, for the, for, uh, the first Godzilla was a bit more concise and streamlined than this one. This I, one, I I think a lot, hang on, I think a lot of the critics are A, missing the point, as far as, you know, the Godzilla movie, but they do have a, but when they talk about, because I think a lot of it is there's too much meandering uh, all around with, you know, Kyle Chandler and Vera Farminga and Millie Bobby Brown, and it, that, that whole... A lot of that stuff is not very well written, which is a valid complaint. It's also not really the primary purpose of a Godzilla movie. But, but to me, to me, the first movie, which had, I think, a very nice visual style and look to it that I think Gareth Edwards did a good job with it. The first movie, to me, had critical issues with the writing and the acting and performances that were not well done. I feel, I feel. I feel like critics were, were too quick to offer glowing praise to that film in 2014, personally. Um, Rocket, Man, I enjoyed the crap out of both of them, so... <laughs> I mean, 
Rocket Man, I think, is a much better movie. Oh and yeah, but I, I, it's designed think, to be by definition. I think Rocket Man is the movie Bohemian Rhapsody should have been. You mean it's competently edited? I mean, I think Dexter Fletcher is a very underrated director, and I think he did a great job. And I and I think I love the way it mixed in his 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 classic songs, his musical numbers, and Taron Egerton. I mean. Maybe he's not as good a singer as Elton John, but at least he can sing competently, which I think we're seeing far too little of uh, with musical films as of late, like Aladdin, which was terrible in terms of singing. Uh, other than, I mean, um, excuse me, let me rephrase that. I think Will Smith's singing was terrible in that film. Will Smith's not a really good singer. <laughs> The rapper, not a good singer. So check out my reviews for that. Check out my my podcasts, iTunes, YouTube, the 411 Wrestling Interviews Podcast, 411 Mania on YouTube. The next review I will be doing is Dark Phoenix. So, joy. Good luck. The X-Men movie we've all been waiting for. Disney, you have a week. I beg of you, save us all from this. Just pull it. No one wants to see it. Uh, did you see some of the some of the news that had kind of come out a little bit about why they had to reshoot so much of that? Um, I heard there was they said one sequence was too similar to another Marvel movie or something. Yeah, and I think it was the ending. And I'm which... like, how can you not one? How can you not know that? And I mean, well, two. A lot of these movies have similar finales, so who cares at this point? I think there's only so many glowing woman blows up a spaceship and then flies off into the I, galaxy far, I, far away we can take. Robert, this movie itself is already a remake of of X-Men 3, is it not? So, I mean... It, it's adapting the same material. But even... But I recall some of the trailers looked exactly the same. Had scenes that looked identical to X-Men 3. Again, they're both adapting the same uh, comic arc, so... There's yeah, only so much with ideas that were not even present in the Phoenix storyline. Yeah, I, I don't know. Got this to anyone directed? This movie is directed by the same guy who wrote X Men Three. That's what it was. I knew there was a relationship between those two, and yeah, it's that again. That's a recipe for disaster. And this might sound really stupid, but I don't think you can properly adapt the the Phoenix or Dark Phoenix saga without the aliens. And Apparently there are aliens in this movie. Well, I think they said an alien. Well, which, uh, I, I agree with your speculation theory, that it's I, going I to be theory, the co I have a theory about that, which I could be wrong on, but I actually agree with you. I think you're right. Okay. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to stick. I mean, we know how badly theories end up going, so I don't want to, you know, cause I've heard, I've heard several different things about this character, but it just seems the way she's been portrayed in the in the material seems odd to me, and that's why I said what I did. Um, I, think, I think you're onto something with that. I think I think the thing is, the thing is the Phoenix storyline itself is a huge storyline. You you need like two or three movies to do it accurately. Honestly. Well, you'd have to do the, you'd have to do the Phoenix saga break, then do the Dark Phoenix saga. Yeah, again, for those unfamiliar with it, in the it's a very, very 
large. It covers a lot of material. This this story. It goes across years, did it not? Like there were, and and as you said, there were there was uh there were breaks in it, correct? Well, yeah, again, the Phoenix Saga was something different than the Dark Phoenix Saga. The Phoenix Saga was just the first appearance of the entity. It's when we first are introduced to the Shi'ar. I'm a massive nerd, I know. Right, but they have the whole fight with the Shi'ar and Lelandra's brother first. In the yeah, end, yeah, they, they fight with the Shi'ar and- Empire. They overthrow her brother. They, the Phoenix, that's when Jean Grey, they, Jean Grey in the theory Star- dies. We they need the Star- that. the Starjammers and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cyclops' so father, I think. Basically like X-Men, basically like X-Men 3, they're condensing Phoenix and Dark Phoenix, which are two separate stories. It, yeah, it's a terrible idea. Yeah, because Dark Phoenix is the follow-up to that from years later when they bring back Jean Grey, and now I, the Phoenix I, Force I, has been corrupted, and it's malevolent, and yeah, it's a whole thing. That's why people have a fondness for the animated series, because they took the time to adapt they did a miniseries for the Phoenix Saga, and then they did a Dark Phoenix Saga. Yeah, and they and they had a bunch of time between the two. Like I, I can't remember how long it was exactly, but because right, they did they did it they they treated it as Jean was gone, dead or gone for a while. Yeah, basically. before she before Dark. Anyway, but I'm not really looking forward to it. But we'll see what happens. First time in a long time I've actively not looked forward to a movie featuring Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy. I'm honestly surprised they're still releasing it, and it seems like they're still going to release. They're still going to release uh, New Mutants after they do the reshoots. Well, well, apparently, I think they said they were going to do New Mutants as like a Disney Plus thing. Um, possibly. So, I mean, if you want to release it directly onto your streaming platform, I don't see the harm, but. I don't know. I think honestly, I think Kevin Feige is still being cagey about their plans for the for the characters they got back, but we'll see. Well, he should be because there's a lot of different directions they could go with it, and there's no reason to give that away before you have stuff laid out. Well, I'm cu- I'm curious to see what I'm just saying. Avengers, what would be uh, Avengers? Um, not four. Sorry, not five. Avengers six is probably going to be Avengers versus the X Men because there was that big crossover event. They can adapt. Honestly, I don't. To me, Avengers versus X Men would be a failure. I'm not saying I want to see it. I'm saying I think that's where they're headed. I hope I never want to see that because to me, you're just doing it just to for the title and not for the story. Well, I mean, that's exa- that would mean they were adapting the source material correctly, because boy, was that just all that was. I mean, Civil... I thought Civil War, the actual story, is, is horrendous. And, case in point, they had to totally rewrite it for their franchise. But, I honestly, if it was me, I wouldn't have even have done Civil War. But I felt like it was inevitable... Because Civil War is such a, <clears throat> it's such, it, it has such mainstream appeal that it, it was. It's, it's too big of a, it's too big of a touchstone, you know, to not do something with. Same, like the same with Ultron. You, you just have to do something with it, even if what comes out of it wasn't as good. I mean, Ultron, to me, I was very excited about the idea until, you know. Oh, it, God, I was too, man. Those trailers are still some of the best trailer. Like, yeah, like, I, I, I've not been more hyped by a, movie trailer, then I, it's been a while since I've been more hyped about a movie just based on the trailer 
than I was for Age of Ultron. Anyway, but that's Exceptional. all. But yeah, thanks, Robert. It's good to be back this week, and hopefully, fingers crossed, these fights stay together, and we got some better fights for you coming up. Oh, yeah. Because you deserve it. Eh, I deserve what I get. I do this to myself. Um, all right. As for me, uh, myself, Mark Radlich, and Alexis Haina got together on Damn You Hollywood last Tuesday and reviewed Aladdin, such as it was. Um, we talked the good, the bad, why the critics suck, the usual stuff from Damn You Hollywood. This Tuesday, we'll be reviewing Godzilla, King of Monsters, where... I don't know how exactly Mark and I are going to structure this one, because we have some interesting points of commonality <laughs> on the, on our take on this show, and that usually means something, that means something comes out of left field at the last second and we spend an hour screaming at each other. Um, so you can find me there for that. Uh, again, Saturday for UFC 238 in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. Give the 411 Mania Podcasting Network a like, a follow, YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, wherever else we are. I'm not sure of all the, I'm not sure of everywhere that we are, but we're in a lot of places. So give us a follow, give us a review, hit the like button. I feel, I feel dirty saying it, I know, but please trust me, there's a reason everyone does this. There's only so many ways that metrics are tabulated. Giving us reviews, giving us, you know, be that, Thumbs up, thumbs down, a uh, star rating, etc. That does a, a gives us feedback as the people who do the show, and B helps uh, makes <laughs> helps all the relevant websites under, know that people are actually engaging with the content. So please, if that's what you're doing, just something. <laughs> Something's better than nothing in this instance. Uh, next Sunday, we'll be back here to review UFC 238 and bask in the glorious afterglow, afterglow of violence. Do I have a week off? There's no way I do. Holy crap, I do. I could have sworn I had four events in June. I have to confirm this now. Hang on just one second. There are, but it's... Oh, they could have done five. They're only doing four. Okay. Fair enough. So next week we'll just be reviewing UFC 239. Eight. Yeah. UFC 238. Uh, the following week, that will be the 16th, we'll be back to preview Fight Night 154. This is the UFC's debut in South Carolina. Uh, the main event is Hanato Moikano and the Korean zombie Chan Sung Jung, which, if nothing else, will be fun as hell. Uh, the rest of the card is going to flesh out a little bit over the couple of weeks. Again, we know it's all been announced mostly, but I want to give that some time to kind of settle. Uh, we'll be back again in a couple of weeks for that. So next week, just a pretty straightforward review of the event. Uh, and yeah, I think that'll do it for me. I will see you all then. On behalf of Jeff, I'm Robert again. Thanking you very much for listening. Reminding you to stay safe out there and please continue to be well, be safe and behave.